The title of what I'm sharing with you this morning is Seven Things You Need to Know About Salvation. Seven things that you need to know about salvation, and perhaps this is a little different from maybe the normal way in which I would share. And in terms of this, I wanna say that firstly, this is not an exhaustive list of all the things related to salvation. It's not all inclusive, but it is rather what I'd call a simple overview of some of the key elements that relate to salvation. And I pray and trust that the Lord will help me to make things clear, simple, clear-cut, and effective. Because I really believe that preaching should make things clear. It shouldn't be a case of you go home after the service and say, what did the pastor preach about? I'm not sure, but he was carrying on and on and on. No, it should be clear-cut, understood. Once we've heard a time of the declaring of the word of God, you should know and understand more of God's heart and more of God's word. Can I get an amen? So I'm gonna refer to quite a few scriptures and you don't need to turn there because you'll be doing a lot of turning and might not be able to keep up. But talking about seven things you need to know about salvation, and I thought maybe it would be good to start off with a definition. Now there are probably many definitions that could be given to salvation. This is one that I think is quite effective. What is salvation? It is deliverance, by the grace of God, from the punishment for sin, which is granted to those who repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Just one more time, it is, salvation is, deliverance by the grace of God from the punishment for sin, which is granted to those who repent and place their faith in Jesus Christ. Seven things that I wanna share with you, and I will be moving through quite quickly. Number one, salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. Do you believe that? Salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. Let it be heard clearly. And uh, Acts 4 verse 12 says, nor is there salvation, salvation is what we're talking about, nor is there salvation, In any other, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And here the apostle Peter was speaking. He was no doubt speaking about the name of Jesus, the only name that saves. And it's interesting when the angel told Joseph that the name of the baby would be called Jesus, it appears in Matthew 1.21 and it says, and you, this is to basically to Joseph and Mary, and you shall call his name Jesus. Would you say the name Jesus? You shall call his name Jesus for he will save. For he will save his people from their sins. And so I wanna tell you, Jesus means savior. Maybe before you came in today, you didn't know what does the name Jesus actually mean? Jesus means savior. And isn't that so wonderful? So when we sing in the name of Jesus, we're singing about him being our savior. And Jesus is the only name that saves. Would you say that with me? Jesus is the only name that saves. John 14 verse six 
Jesus is talking and he says to Thomas, he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. That sounds pretty clear and unambiguous to me. But popular thinking or popular philosophy would have us believe that all roads lead to Rome or all roads ultimately lead to God. But I wanna say, listen, that is a serious misconception. It is dangerous to believe that and it has disastrous consequences if you're gonna believe that. I wanna tell you, it's error, it's misconception, it is a lie. It doesn't matter how many people on the planet begin to say the same thing, it doesn't make it right. God says what it is, and what God says is right. Jesus is the only name that saves. It says in 1 Timothy 2 verse five, it says, for there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. So there's only one intermediary, only one mediator. And that is the fact, and he is the only way to the Father. Can I get an amen? amen. Number two, salvation is birthed out of God's love for us. Isn't that lovely? Salvation. It comes out of the love of God, and yes, the grace of God, but I wanna emphasize in particular the love of God at this point in time. One of the most well-known scriptures relating to salvation is John 3, verse 16, which says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes should not perish but have life. But take note, it says, for God so loved. Would you say loved? I wanna emphasize that for a moment. For God so loved. When we think about salvation, we have to think of the love of God. May I ask you a question here today? Listen to this. Has anybody ever told you that God loves you? Maybe at some point in your life, you've heard that. Maybe for many people that have never heard that, but I wanna tell you that your heavenly Father most certainly loves you. You've got to know that. You've got to believe that. You cannot go through life feeling rejected and unloved when the King of heaven laid his life down for you and just demonstrated his love. He loves you with an everlasting love. And in Romans 5 verse eight, it says, but God demonstrates his own love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And you know what? When you and I look at the cross of Calvary, we should see it as the greatest symbol of love ever known to mankind. And I know that nowadays, you know, when we think of love, generally people think of hearts and there's emojis that you can send on social media and so on. And we think heart is the great symbol of love. I wanna tell you that there is a far greater, far more powerful, far more demonstrated by the Father, love of God symbol. And it is the cross of Calvary. It is the greatest symbol of love ever known to mankind is the cross. Praise God for the cross. And so I wanna say, God truly loves you. Why don't you say to the person next to you, God truly loves you. Mean it as you say it. God truly loves you. 
It says in Ephesians 2 verse 4 and 5, it says, But God, who is rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, it's because of his love. Number three, salvation is a free gift. You cannot earn it. Salvation is a free gift. You cannot earn it. There is such a powerful truth. There are some fathers that went ahead of us in the faith and thought that people would understand this because the understanding prior to that was that you have to work to earn your salvation. And this was a radical understanding as suddenly people began to realize, no, it's a free gift. Ephesians 2 verse 8 and 9 says, for by grace, you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Gift of God, please say gift of God. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. So we can't boast and say, well, I've saved myself. No, it is the work of God and of Christ that brings this about. And so it is a gift. Now, if somebody gives you a gift, and they hand over to you some sort of a lovely gift, do you say, okay, how much do I owe you? No, you don't. That would be the inappropriate response. Instead, you'd probably say, wow, well, thank you. Thank you very much. I really appreciate that. Yet, as many, many times as Christians, it appears to me that we are trying to work for our salvation, or we're trying to do something to make ourselves more acceptable to God, and so we're trying to strive, and we're trying to do things in our own strength, but God says, this is a gift, my child. This is a gift that you receive from me, and yes, it blows your mind, and you don't fully understand it, but it's a gift, and so it should be received as a gift because you can't earn a gift. Let me say this, a gift is a gift. And so the right response to this gift of salvation should be thanksgiving. <laughs> the right response should be praise. The right response should be joy as well. And I believe that we will have more joy in our hearts if we are more aware of the fact that we've been lavished with this amazing gift of salvation. And so it's all made possible because of the grace of God. So what do we do? We just receive the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness as the Bible says in Romans 5 verse 17. Number four, salvation is available because the price was paid at Calvary. Please say that with me. Salvation is available because the price was paid at Calvary. I wanna say that there is a hill in Jerusalem known as Calvary or Golgotha, the place of the skull. And on that hill, some 2,000 years ago, a literal historic event took place, historical event took place where Jesus Christ of Nazareth was crucified. It is so completely well documented and confirmed his crucifixion, uh, crucifixion and his resurrection as well. But Jesus was crucified. 
And today, especially, we focus on the crucifixion of Jesus. He died the cruelest of deaths, the death on a cross. But here's the wonderful thing, child of God. He came to die in your place and in my place. Now, you gotta let that sink in. Please let that sink in a little bit. He came to die in your place. The wages of sin is death, and so death was required, and we were supposed to die, but God sent Jesus, and Jesus came to die in our place. It is altogether indescribable, and that's why the cross is called good news, because you and I, we're no longer condemned to death, but we have life through Jesus. And it says in 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21, in the NLT translation, it says the following, for God made Christ who never sinned, listen to this, to be the offering for our sin. Wow. To be the offering for our sin so that we could be made right with God through Christ. And so Jesus died in our place and that is called substitutionary atonement. Theologically, that's what it's called. And so, as I mentioned earlier in the service, that Jesus took our sin upon himself and he gave and imputed to us his righteousness. And so that is the great exchange. It's one of the marvels of all of theology. And can we give God a hand of praise for the great exchange? I believe we can. But also know this, that when the price was paid for the penalty of our sins, it was paid in full. It was fully and completely paid, and Jesus was the ultimate sacrifice. There never needs to be another sacrifice again. You just have to have your faith in His sacrifice, in what He has done. And when that happened, our sins became removed from us. The Bible says that our sins were removed as far as the east is from the west. God removed our sins and he basically cast our sins into his seas of forgetfulness. So if you are still holding on to sins, which you've confessed before the Lord, you're making a big mistake because when God deals with your sins, they are removed from you. And so that's why there doesn't need to be this condemnation this dark cloud of heaviness over us, feeling that we're not in good enough, but we are good enough because of the righteousness of Jesus and because of the blood of Jesus, amen. Hallelujah. Point number five, here we go. Salvation can only occur when there is genuine repentance. Very important point. Salvation can only occur when there is genuine repentance. Now, to me, this is my observation. I wonder if you'll agree with this. But I believe that repentance is underemphasized and toned down in Christianity nowadays. I wonder by a show of hands, do any of you agree with that? Okay. Repentance is underemphasized. I, I don't know exactly why, but maybe. It's got something to do with the fact that people don't like to hear about sin. They don't wanna be told about sin and the need for repentance, but yet Jesus spoke a great deal about sin. <laughs> if Jesus spoke about it, I believe we should speak about it. And that's why if you're in a church where you never hear anything mentioned about sin, 
I wanna tell you, be careful because we don't wanna pursue a light Christianity. Jesus never came with a light Christianity. He said, you know, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. And so it's so important that we repent of the things. But let me just say this very, very clearly to you. Repentance may, remains an essential step to salvation. May I repeat that? Repentance remains an essential step to salvation. We cannot treat it as something frivolous. We cannot treat it as something that's not important. And it says in Luke 13 verse five, Jesus said, I tell you, no, unless you repent, you shall all likewise perish. You know, there's a Greek word that describes what repentance is. It's the Greek word metanoia. Please say that word, metanoia. And so basically this means a complete change of mind. It means a 180 degree turnaround. It means here, if you are living your life and you are walking in the ways of sin and in your own way in sinful nature, when you repent, you turn away from that and you turn towards Jesus Christ. It is a complete change of mind. And that's why when somebody has truly repented, they don't just go on with sins of adultery or sins of fraud or, or sins of lying to people or doing all sorts of crazy things because they have changed, there has been repentance. And so we make that decision to turn away from sin and turn to Christ and then the Holy Spirit, He comes and empowers us to live that victorious life so that you stay on top of sin. Can you say amen? And I think of Saul, Saul became Paul, but he had a dramatic encounter with God. And when he had that dramatic encounter, everything changed. If somebody says to you, well, they've come to Christ, but their life looks the same as before, I question, was there true repentance? Was there true conversion? Because I believe when there's repentance, then there is fruit in keeping with repentance. And it says in 2 Peter 3 verse 9, it says, the Lord is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Number six, salvation means you become a new creation. Say this with me out aloud. Salvation means you become a new creation. Now just think about that for a moment. Think about that God has created in this whole plan of salvation that we become new, new creatures before God. 2 Corinthians 5.17 says it. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Say that with me, new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And so the amazing thing that as believers, as we come to Christ, we become brand new and completely new on the inside. And the Holy Spirit gives us this new life and we are not the same anymore when you come to Christ. Listen to this statement. We are not reformed or rehabilitated. We are recreated. And so folks, this is not just something of turning over a new little leaf, okay? I wanna tell you that this is something of becoming entirely new, a new creation in Jesus Christ. And my final point, number seven. 
Salvation assures us that we are citizens of heaven. Please say that aloud with me. Salvation assures us that we are citizens of heaven. Now just think for a moment of being a citizen of heaven. Wow, so you've got your earthly passports and you have to renew them every 10 years or so. But I wanna tell you, there's a passport that you get given when you, get come, when you come to Christ. And through that passport, forever and ever, you are entitled to enter into heaven one day and be a citizen of heaven. And this is backed up from Philippians 3 verse 20. It says, for our citizenship is in heaven. Do you see yourself as there? Our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also eagerly wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body so that it may be conformed to his glorious body. Now, let me just explain something here as we draw into a close. Listen, salvation, do you realize this, will only be fully complete when we are made whole and when we are placed into the presence of God for all eternity. And so salvation is still actually an ongoing work. The initial thing has been accomplished, but it's an ongoing work. And that's why I love the scripture which says, he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it to the day of his coming. He's gonna complete it. And on the day of his coming, this is what will take place. You will be made whole and you will be placed into God's presence for all eternity. Theologically, this is called glorification. And essentially, glorification has three aspects. Number one, we will be made morally perfect, never to sin again. Number two, we will receive a glorified body like Jesus' glorified body. And I wanna tell you that that body's gonna be awesome. And you know what? You're not gonna have to exercise anymore. And you're not gonna have to worry about losing weight anymore. Does anybody get a little bit excited about that? And also the third thing is that we will enter into God's presence because we now have this body that can stand in the presence of God for all eternity. A last scripture, John 3 verse, 1 John 3 verse 2. Dear friends, now we are the children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. What we will be in the future has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, listen to this, we shall be like him. Suddenly, we will be made morally perfect. We will receive our glorified bodies. We will be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And do you know that finally, we will experience what mankind has been longing for always, right throughout all the years. Mankind has been longing to be in the presence of God in this place of absolute perfection called heaven. And you and I will be there because we're citizens. We have the passport that allows us to be there. And it's just an amazing thought because there you and I will be, we will be perfect beings before God with our perfect Father and we will be enjoying the absolute perfection of heaven. Can somebody say praise the Lord? Amen. Now let me just recap seven things that you need to know about salvation. Number one, 
Salvation is through Jesus Christ alone. Two, salvation is birthed out of God's love for us. Number three, salvation is a free gift. You cannot earn it. Four, salvation is available because the price was paid at Calvary. Five, salvation can only occur when there is genuine repentance. Six, salvation means that you and I, we are new creations. And number seven, salvation assures us that we are citizens of heaven. Now, if your salvation in Christ excites you even just a little bit, would you put your hands together and just give the Lord a big hand of praise for the salvation that you and I have? Come on, make some noise, make some noise, make some noise. We are saved, we are redeemed and we are citizens of heaven, hallelujah. It is the greatest story ever told. There's no greater story than this. And we thank the Lord. Now, I wanna say this, listen to this carefully. There is a choice to be made. This is the choice. Will you reject the gift of salvation or will you accept the gift of salvation. I wanna tell you, this is, it hangs on all of this. God made us with a free will, but he wanted to reveal himself to you and bring you to a place where you would choose him. And so I wanna say, you have a choice to make. As you're listening to me right now, you have a choice to make. What will it be? Will you reject this gift of salvation and the gift of righteousness? Please don't do that. I wanna to appeal to you, accept the gift of salvation. And I'm gonna pray a prayer right now. It's a brief prayer. And I'm gonna ask that we all pray this prayer, phrase by phrase after me. This is a prayer of salvation so that you can receive the free gift of eternal life. Let's close our eyes. And can I invite you that you pray this after me, phrase by phrase, out aloud, here in the Baobab Hall uh, and in the auditorium, would you say this out aloud? Lord Jesus Christ, I repent of my sins and I place my faith in you. I give my heart and life to you. Be my Lord and be my Savior. I choose to live for you, Jesus Christ, unashamedly. And I mean this prayer with all my heart. And I say, amen, amen. Now, if you're listening to me and you prayed that prayer for the first time especially, I'm not gonna call you to the front or anything because we can't have that, unfortunately, at this point in time. But let me say this, I wanna encourage you to read the Gospel of John in the New Testament and to get committed into a local church. It will change your life. By the way, Pastor Philip just came to me afterwards and said that uh, from the, the ministry store, there's a whole lot of Bibles that we could make available. If you don't have a Bible, straight afterwards at the info desk, Pastor Philip, just stand and wave a hand, please. And so Pastor Philip will bless you with a Bible. And if you don't have a Bible, you can get one today. Isn't that wonderful? So praise the Lord. Let's give the Lord a hand of praise. Well, you have all received the communion elements, and so I'd like to read a scripture, 
and partake and then we will close in prayer. Here we are about to take, uh, partake in the Passover meal, partaking in communion. May I remind you that we are immensely privileged to do this. It says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 23 to 26 in the NLT. And this is the Apostle Paul speaking. Now, would you just focus your heart right now on the scripture? Paul said, for I pass on to you what I received from the Lord himself. On the night when Jesus was betrayed, the Lord took some bread and gave thanks to God for it. Then he broke it in pieces and said, this is my body which is given for you. Do this to remember me. And we're doing that. In the same way, he took the cup of wine after supper saying, this cup is the new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood. Do this to remember me as often as you drink it. For every time you eat this bread and drink this cup, you are announcing the Lord's death until he comes again. Would you please lift up the bread as we pray right now? Father, this is a sacred moment to partake in Holy Communion. And as we lift up this bread, we remind ourselves that the bread speaks of the body of Jesus Christ. It speaks of you as the sacrificial lamb, the lamb who came to take away the sins of the world. We break this now. And we remind ourselves of what you went through as you endured the cross. Thank you for what you did for us. And on this Good Friday especially, we are deeply grateful for the way of salvation that you opened up. Thank you for paying the penalty for our sins. Thank you for being our sacrifice the body of the Lord broken for you. And now Father, with great joy, we lift up the cup in your presence. And we are prayerful, we are devotional. We know that this cup represents the blood of Jesus Christ. Nothing can cleanse the human heart except for the blood of Jesus. And so Father, we take a moment for any things that we've said or thought or done lately that just hasn't pleased you, we're sorry for that. But we thank you that we stand in your righteousness. We stand cleansed before you. And as we partake now of this cup, Lord, we want it to be known that we receive everything that is available to us in this new covenant, in this covenant of grace, which is a better covenant with better promises. And so we thank you, Lord Jesus, for your blood, the blood of the Lord shed for you. Now let's just keep our eyes closed just for a moment. 
And so, Father, this has been a wonderful day as we've glorified the Lamb of God. And I pray that still as we go into the rest of this day, that there would be a sense of awareness of you and awareness of your great love for us. And so we thank you, Lord, for this blessed time. I bless your people. And I say, the Lord, bless you, keep you, make his face shine upon you, be gracious to you. And the Lord lift up the light of his smile upon you and give you peace. And we all say, amen, amen and amen.